right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 15, we were dealing with the ministry of Jesus amongst the Gentiles. And the overall idea of the section or the theme is Jesus continued training of his disciples for their future ministry. And so the point, even though the disciples themselves were not aware that they were actually being trained by Jesus for future ministry, that is when Jesus would one, one day not be with them, when he would ascend it after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they actually begin this ministry proclaiming Jesus as Messiah uh, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they had no idea that all of this would take place in the future and they are at this particular time being trained by the Lord for this particular ministry. And that is one of the reasons why we saw Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaking of what? That new mystery kingdom that should come. Why? Israel had rejected Jesus as her Messiah. So therefore that kingdom would not come at this time. So Jesus began to speak of a new kingdom that would be predicated upon his person, that is, those who believe in him as Messiah, this kingdom consisting of Jew and the Gentile. But nevertheless, without getting to all of that once again. So in 15, Jesus basically began to show, he began to demonstrate that this ministry of the apostles, we know there would be one, one apostle in particular, namely the apostle Paul, would not only be a ministry for the Jews, we saw that in the feeding of the 5,000, the taking care of the Jews, the word of God, the, sim the symbolism of the feeding of the people for the bread, feeding of the people of the word of God. 5,000, this was for the Jewish people. Then we see Jesus entering into the coast of the Gentiles, Syrophoenician people. What did we see? The feeding of the Gentiles. The teaching that the responsibility for the apostles one day will be also for the feeding, feeding of the word of God to the Gentile population as well. And so we saw that in the Syrophoenician woman, there is a blessing for, remember, because she was Gentile, there's a blessing for the Gentile as well as the Jews. The Jew, this is an automatic assumption because Jesus came into his own. What did he tell the Gentile, Gentile woman? I was not sent except to the house of Israel. So the blessing is automatically assume, assuming for the Jew, but it was not automatically assumed for the Gentile. And we're not going to get into all of that. Once again, go back and check out chapter 15, but the blessing, there are crumbs that fall from the table of the masters. That is, there are also blessings for the Gentiles as well for the blessings of the Messiah are without limit. Okay, and so then he continued on with that ministry, that teaching ministry of healing those Gentile people and finally of the feeding of those Gentile people. All of this object lesson of future ministry for the disciples. Okay, now with all of that, let's get into chapter 16. But as we get into chapter 16, remember this one of the things that Jesus was doing was this. Not only was he teaching his disciples or preparing them for future ministry, but also he was teaching them certain things or aspects about himself 
And this is what we are going to see in chapter 16. But before we get right into chapter 16, let us go back to take a look at some of the things that took place. Remember the healing of the man of Gadara, the demon possessed man. But really, it started off this way. When Jesus was on the water and he calmed the waves of the sea. Remember when he was in the boat asleep and the disciples asked, what manner of man is this? And then the very next thing that Matthew tells us about was the Gadara, the demons of Gadara. And what did they say concerning Jesus? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. That is a divine person, God himself. Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? We know who you are. So in Matthew, the way he is bringing together his gospel, he is also furthering Jesus' identity, the understanding of his disciples' identity of him. And then, once again, remember the next occasion when Jesus sent his disciples over and he came in the fourth watch of the night walking on the water. And what happened once again? Jesus' disciples, when he got into the boat, they began to worship him. Proskuneo. This is something done or reserved for God alone. So the idea that is being progressed in Matthew's gospel <clears throat> by Matthew's intention, of course, is not only is Jesus training them for future ministry, but he is also enlightening them of his person. They understand they have already believed because they are following Jesus at this time that he is the Messiah. But who is the Messiah? Is he simply a man, son of man? This is the title that Jesus loves to use that deals with his humanity. Is he simply the son of man? Is that, is that all there is to the Messiah? The, the disciples and the apostles need to understand this so that they themselves can teach and preach these things in the future. Or is there something else to the nature of Jesus. So he's training them, enlightening them, and showing them these things about himself. And that's what makes chapter 16 also a pivotal chapter as we deal with the confession of Peter about the person of Jesus. But anyway, so keep those things in mind as we continue to work through the scripture. We're not gonna get into those things in a premature sense. <clears throat> Just remember, he's preparing the disciples for two things, future ministry and understanding of his person. And we'll also see understanding of his mission. OK, without any further ado, let's just simply go into chapter 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them. When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and the sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And I tell you what, let me just simply stop there 
and explain what's going on. So now we have, here's Jesus. He has returned. Remember at the end of chapter 15, he is back in the land of Israel. So he's on the other side of the sea of Galilee. And there he is met by some of the Pharisees and the scribes asking for a sign from heaven. And when they say a sign from heaven, all they're asking for is give us proof that you are indeed the Messiah. That's what that means. Give us a messianic sign, a miraculous, do a miraculous thing that proves that you are Messiah. But what you got to remember is Jesus has been doing these things all along. So what they're saying is they have absolutely rejected all of the previous signs that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus had already given. And now they're asking Jesus for another. Once again, remember Matthew chapter 12. If you haven't seen it, go back and look at 12. There's a two part series on that. Good. Look at both parts of them. Okay. And it's lengthy, but nevertheless it's good because why it is so pivotal to understand how Jesus begins to deal with the people once again. Cause remember what did Matthew 12 do for us? Jesus rescinded the offer of being Messiah King to the Jews. He took that off the table. Why? Because the leaders trying to convince the leaders had already accepted for themselves and also trying to convince the people that what Jesus was doing by virtue of him being demon possessed. And so therefore no longer will he be their Messiah. No longer will he be their King. And that's why Matthew chapter 13, Jesus began to talk about a new kingdom, a new spiritual kingdom of God. Okay. But nevertheless, once again, here come the Pharisees asking for a sign, but notice what again, it said they tested him, which lets us see that their motives were not pure. They weren't trying to get Jesus to do something, uh, to show them a sign so that they might believe. No, 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 no. Everything. Remember, as we talked about this, even earlier, the Pharisees had already made up their mind to reject Jesus and they were going about looking for ways to condemn Jesus, even condemn him to death. So this was not asking for a sign so that they might believe this was asking for something Jesus to do so they can find an occasion once again to condemn him. Okay. And Jesus understood exactly what this is, but nevertheless, he entertained them to this point saying, you can look at the weather, patterns in the sky and determine the type of weather it will be. How is it that you have not been able to look at me and all of the things that I have already done and determine for yourself that I am the Messiah? I have already done enough signs to prove that I am the Messiah and therefore no further signs shall be given to this generation. No further messianic signs will I give to prove to this generation that I am the Messiah. Why? The offer of the kingdom for Israel at this time has been rescinded. Therefore, the only sign that they will get in the future, as Jesus said in chapter 12 already, is the sign of Jonah, which is the sign of what? resurrection from the dead. And we saw that resurrection from the dead in two examples. That was the resurrection of Lazarus spoken of in the book of John 
and Jesus's own resurrection, as he spoke of in chapter 12, being that as Lazarus, I'm sorry, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so shall the son of man be in the heart of the earth. He also shall be dead, but resurrected for three days and three nights. He will be resurrected after the three days and three nights. Okay. So the only further sign that he is the Messiah that he will give to this evil, evil because they have rejected Jesus, evil. They have rejected Jesus and all that he has done. Adulterous generation, adultery is always a word that is used in a spiritual sense for Israel or God's people in the sense that they have turned away from God. And this Jesus con continuously uh, accused the Pharisees of being hypocritical and not true when it comes to a relationship with God. Evil and adulterous generation, not only the Pharisees, but also that particular generation of Jesus, that generation that saw and saw Jesus's miracles, his signs and heard his preaching. He is, he always loves to refer to that particular generation because it is set for a peculiar judgment. Why? You had an advantage of seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, experiencing Jesus like no other people did. But nevertheless, let's go on back to the commentary. So that generation, Jesus says, especially concerning the Pharisees, seeking after a sign and no sign will be given to that generation. OK, and so he left and went on his way. Now, let's continue. Verse number five. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and be aware and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying he said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith. Why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not understand, not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. OK, so now in furtherance to the instance of what just took place, the Pharisees and the Sadducees asking Jesus for a sign. Notice they are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee now in verse number five here. And so and, and they and and it sets the occasion slowing it down. It sets the occasion. The disciples didn't bring any bread, but Jesus still thinking on concerning the Pharisees who are just contending with Jesus to show a sign. He warns his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Y'all know what leaven is. It's something that you put in yeast. 
you put into bread to make it rise. And so as he said that the disciples began to think to themselves that Jesus is somewhat getting on their case because they forgot to bring bread so that they can eat. And so they, as Jesus understood that the disciples were thinking about physical bread to eat, he challenged them to remember the the miracles that he did with the 5,000, the, the two fish and the five, the five loaves, especially because he's talking about bread here, the five loaves or the miracles that he did in feeding the 4,000 Gentiles and the seven loaves that he did. And so Jesus condemned them for their lack of faith. That is whether or not they brought bread is irrelevant. Don't you know that if Jesus can feed 5,000 and if he could feed 4,000 with just a little, he can also provide for them, his disciples that we notably the 12, as well as those who were closely following after Jesus. Okay. So nevertheless, he accused them of having little faith because how quickly they had forgotten the miracle of the loaves and I kind of feel like preaching a little bit here. Let us remember what Jesus, what God has done for us in the past. Let us remember how God had provided for us, how God made a way when there seemed no way. Let us remember the wonderful things that God do. And sometimes we say, wow, God really, sometimes we'll say, God really came through for me then. I had no idea. I saw no way out, but somehow God worked it out. Remember those times. And I even say for myself, Lord, help me to remember those times when you did or uh, brought about a great deliverance in my life. Why? So that when something else comes about, I can, what Jesus says, don't you remember what I did back then for you? As he says here, don't you remember the 5,000? Don't you remember the 4,000? Let us remember those times too. And that's all I'll say about that. But anyway, so he condemns them of having little faith because they so quickly forgot just like we do. But anyway, and so Jesus began to say to them once again, once they understood that it wasn't bread, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they began to understand that Jesus was not talking about bread, but he was actually talking about the teaching or the doctrines of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees, remember we talked about that, all of those additional, remember the, both groups already have rejected Jesus as Messiah, okay? And remember all of those rules that we talked about with the Pharisees, creating the rules, remember the working on the Sabbath day, blah, 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 and it goes on and on and on. And we already know about the Sadducees, how they did not believe certain things like angels or the resurrection of the dead, which will come into play later on in this chapter. But nevertheless, these teachings, false teachings, bad teachings of Pharisees and Sadducees were corrupting and spreading. So the idea is they were destructive. So as yeast set into bread rises and causes the whole bread to rise, 
so does the false and corruptive teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They corrupt throughout. They corrupt throughout. And so what is Jesus saying to his disciples? Beware of their corrupting teachings. And especially as concerning these men, they themselves have already rejected Jesus and his messiahship. Okay, so now with that in mind, let us continue on as we get even further as the Pharisees, ignorant, rejecting, rebellious against the signs that Jesus has already given. What signs? The signs that Jesus has given that he is the Messiah and even asking for additional signs. They have rejected the Messiah. They don't know him. They what don't know him. Now we move into this continuing teaching section here and Jesus wants to know, do you know me, my disciples? Okay. But that's the idea. Training, what training, not only for future ministry. We see this in what do not absorb the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees training them for that. And again, what did I say unto you earlier about, do you know exactly who I am? Has it now come to you that I am more than simply the son of man, a human being? Okay. You get it. You get it. So now let's just simply go on with the furthering teaching verse number 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay. Now this part is kind of thick. So I don't want to rush through it. So if I kind of do a little line by line thing, forgive me because I want you to understand what's going on in this section. Okay. All right. So now remember all of this and remember everything that I've been saying to you earlier, training the disciples. Now we get to the point of the training for revelation. That is, do you understand? Has it been revealed to you who I truly am? And so now, so we, we get into the point, Jesus now on the coast of Caesarea Philippi. So this is one of the, uh, the areas of the sons of Herod, also one of Herod's son. And he is in that particular region. And Jesus began to ask his disciples. He was, and notice the verb here is uh, he was asking them, 
kind of like over and over again, so to speak, in a continuous way. Who are people saying that I am? Who are people saying that I am? And so the disciples said, and here's the point. Who are people saying that I am? Do people know who I really am? And this is the test question, or should we even say the entry question to get into what Jesus really is driving towards and which is, who do you say that I am? But anyway, so they responded to Jesus. The people are giving you great names. John the Baptist. Remember, we heard it was saying earlier by Herod um, Antipas that he believed that Jesus was Herod. I'm sorry. John the Baptist, because Jesus was doing these great signs. And so he thought Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. And therefore he was empowered to do great signs because John the Baptist was empowered to do these great signs because he was resurrected from the dead. This is what Herod Antipas thought Jesus was. And some of the people were saying that too, but they also gave him the name of other great men like Elijah. And we can understand Elijah because what Elijah was one who was really known in as one of the great prophets of the old Testament. And he did many powerful miracles. And also Jeremiah was one of the notable prophets of old. So this is what they were saying, saying about Jesus. They were giving him what we would simply call it today, a big name, big name. Okay. But this was incorrect. And what Jesus began to delve into was, did they get a greater understanding of who he was? So he, he flipped the question and said, who do you say that I am? And this takes us all the way back to one of those things that we were already saying to you. Remember back again, when Jesus calmed the waters, what were they saying? What manner of man is this? What manner of man? Notice how Jesus says, who do you say the son of man? Who do people say the son of man? That, that speaks to what? His being a human being, his humanity. Who do people say about him? Okay. Again, calming the way. What manner of man? Again, the, the casting of the demon out. I'm sorry. We'll go back again, walking on the water, the worshiping him. The whole point is, are you receiving by seeing the things that I'm doing, by hearing the teachings that I'm teaching, by watching me in all my manner of conduct? Has it come to you an escalated knowledge of who I am, son of man? Am I more than that to you? Have you understood this? And so Peter, in speaking for the group, as Peter would do a lot of times, he spoke out and says, you are the Christ. Now, let us examine what Peter actually said. You are the Christ. The Christ speaks to is nothing but Christos. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. The Mashiach, the Mashiach, that's old, that's Hebrew for Messiah or the ones spoken of by the Old Testament. The one spoken by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the prophet who is to come. The one spoken of by the prophets of the Old Testament who will bring about the kingdom for Israel, the one who will rule the world. You are that one. Okay. But notice, so that means he speaks to his humanity. When he says you are the Christ, it speaks to his what 
humanity, even as Jesus spoke about his humanity. Who, who do people say that the son of man is? That title speaks to Jesus's humanity. Son of man and Christ both speak to his humanity. But Peter did not stop with saying he was simply the Christ, Messiah, anointed one. He also said the son of God. That statement or title speaks to Jesus's deity. And so when, G when Peter spoke to his deity, he was letting Jesus know that he has a greater understanding. Remember, this is the whole point of what I'm trying to say. Do you understand that I am more than simply the Messiah, son of man, a man by the things that I've been doing? What? I just mentioned it to you guys. Now for the third time, walking on the water, the worship of him. You don't worship a man. The calming of the sea. What manner of man is this? More than a man. Peter says, yes, you are. You are a divine being. You are God. He's not calling him God the father, but calling him divine. You are God. So he gives a reference as he is both the Christ man and God. And this is what Jesus was driving for. Do you understand my true nature? That is both man, because they had already received him as man, the Messiah, the Christ, but more than a man, God with us. And this is what the prophet would talk about. Unto us, a son is given. Uh, unto us, a, a, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. His name will be called Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. His name, Malachi, will be talked about him who is coming from, whose being is from eternity past, from of old. He is God. Do you understand that? And when Peter understood this, Jesus commended Peter, but he made Peter to know it was not Peter understanding this because he was wise or smarter than anybody else, but this could only come by a revelation of God. And notice what Jesus says, flesh and blood, no human being, not even you yourself could have understood this of yourself, has revealed this to you, but my father, and here's a point, let me tell you guys something. So I'm pausing. Always remember when Jesus would call God my father. OK, he is claiming a particular relationship with God that was unique from any other Jews. All Jews understood and called Jesus. I'm sorry, called God our father. All Jews called God our father. Jesus was the only one to call him my father because there is a tie of relationship, paternal relationship. In other words, it speaks of the being of Jesus, the shared being of both father and son. So by Jesus calling himself, calling God his particular father, 
He is also speaking of his divine nature. Whenever you hear me say divine nature, it simply means he is God. Because what is one of the keys in the old, one of the keys in Jewish idea? As the son is, so is, I'm sorry, as the father is, so is that eldest son. And that's the idea that Jesus here is trying to talk about. But nevertheless, Without getting into that point, he lets Peter know that it was the father who gave him this beautiful, blessed revelation of the son, that is, of the divine person of Jesus. All right. And so based upon that, notice what he says. So he declares unto Peter. Let's talk about what he says to Peter. Upon this rock, upon this precept. Now notice Peter, and I don't want to get into all of the Greek. He is not talking to about Peter, but he is talking. Let me just simply explain it. Let's just do it this way. Now, as he speaks unto Peter, okay, Peter is now living up to that name. Peter, as he told Peter earlier, he is a rock. All right. Peter is a rock. That's good. A solid foundation. But Jesus does a slight play on words because Peter masculine noun. Peter is what? A masculine noun in the Greek. And then he says, and upon this rock, Petros, he now changes to a feminine noun. So he is no longer talking about Peter, but he is talking about what Peter has said. And what is what Peter has said? Peter has just made the statement that Jesus is not only Messiah, but he is also God. So therefore, Jesus is saying to Peter, Upon this rock, what the rock of your confession, what is your confession that Jesus is both Messiah and God and upon that confession, Peter, what upon the confession of me, I will be of my church because the church didn't come out of Peter. The church comes upon the confession and acknowledgement of who of the person and work of Jesus person that he is Messiah and son of God, that he is divine being and his work that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. The church is built upon that. Okay. And notice he says upon that precept, what precept on the person of Jesus, that he is the Messiah son of God, I will build. So therefore it looks to the future. What is not done at this time, what is not done. That is, the church will not be built, will not come to life until the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two. And that's the birth of the church. And Jesus will begin to build that church based upon who he is and that he is comes out of the confession of Peter. He is Messiah, both Christ and God, son of God. Okay. And so, that church building that, that, that Jesus will accomplish based upon his person. I'm now dealing with the part, the gates of Hades. Hades simply is the spiritual world of the dead will never prevail against it. In other words, death will not reign over the church. Death will not have power over the church. Death will not have power over what Jesus will do in his church. 
what Jesus will give his church. And even we can see the implication being here. What? Even Jesus' own death. His, his own. Because no, we know that Jesus will die. And later on in this chapter, Jesus will talk about what? His own death. Not even death will overcome the church. That is the power, the gates of Hades. Nothing can overpower what Jesus will do in the building of his church. And so therefore death has no power over us at all. When we die, we do not simply cease to exist. We immediately go into life. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about. Oh my God, it's beautiful. He's going to talk about going into life or the eternity of life. Or even if you'll let me say it this way, true life. This life that we live is not even true life. We truly begin to live, even if you'll let me say, this, say it this way, when we die. When we die, we really begin to live because we live into the presence of Jesus. We begin to be become all that God, all that Jesus wants us to be after the point of death. And we know also we're going to get a new body and live again. But I don't want to get into all of that. But again, we can see the power of Jesus statement. The gates of Hades cannot prevail against my church. But anyway, so let me go. So he continues to say now, as he talks about the church that he will build, predicated upon Peter's confession that Jesus is both Messiah and God. Now he begins to talk directly to Peter. I say unto you, and that is directly unto Peter, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Now, let me just get directly into that explanation. Go all the way back to Matthew chapter 13. We have not lost focus on that. Israel, the kingdom of the Jews, rejected, rescinded, no longer under the table. Ever since Matthew chapter 12, the pivot chapter, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has been talking about the parables of the new mystery kingdom. What mystery kingdom? Jew and Gentile uh, with a new kingdom law. The kingdom law is the law of Christ, law of the New Testament. This new kingdom, now that's what Jesus is talking to Peter. Keys simply means Keys of authority. And so it's simply to get directly to the point what Jesus is saying to Peter. Keys to the kingdom simply means Jesus is giving Peter keys are used to open doors. That is to allow entry into to bring entry into. And he has already told us about what this new mystery kingdom is. Jew and Gentile or otherwise, or in other words, the church. Jesus just said, even here in this context, upon the principle of who I am, this rock, I will build what? My church. The church is the new kingdom, the keys to the new kingdom. I will give unto you, Peter, the keys to the church. Entry, entry into the church. Peter is given the authority by Jesus to open the door unto the church. So Peter has the authority to bring the groups into the church. And so what Jesus is simply saying is this, he is giving Peter a blessing. It is a unique blessing only given 
to Peter, a unique blessing only given to Peter to allow certain groups into the church, into the body of Jesus. Okay. And so that, and that's why he, okay, let me, let me finish this out. And how did it work out? This is what happened. That's why you saw in Acts chapter two, notice when the Holy Spirit had come in Acts chapter two, it was Peter who stood up and Peter began the preaching. And it was also Peter who invited these Jews. Remember the Jews Acts, and I'm not going to get into all of those, uh, uh, the teachings of Acts chapter two, but go and read it. When Peter told them about, they said he's drunk. Because the new wine, Peter said, no, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this all became because you crucified Jesus of Nazareth. It pricked the people's heart and the people asked Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter told them, be baptized and receive Jesus Christ. But the bottom line is on that day, Peter used his privilege, keys to the kingdom to open the door for the Jews, because notice there were Jews that were saved on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two. All right. But then after the persecution of the church in Acts chapter seven, remember it started with the persecution, the death of Stephen. After the persecution of the church, the Jews began to, the, the church Jews, began, the Christian Jews began to be scattered and they began to move into the region of the Samaritans. Remember, that's one of the places where Philip was. And so as they were preaching the gospel unto the Samaritans, notice as the, as the apostles in Jerusalem, the disciples there heard that the Samaritans had received the gospel. What did they do? They sent Peter there. I think it was Peter and John. This acts chapter eight, they sent Peter and notice when Peter got there, laid his hands on the Samaritans, what happened with the Samaritans? They received the Holy Spirit. What is the point of the Holy Spirit? Receiving of the Holy Spirit means to come into the church. And what is the church again? The mystery body, the new kingdom of Jesus. Upon this principle that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. And Peter, I give you the keys to open the door to the kingdom, you alone. So Peter now opens the keys, the door for the Samaritans. And then finally, what happens? Acts chapter 10, when Peter went into the household of the Gentile Cornelius. And what did Peter do? As God had moved him to go into the household of Cornelius, as he, pre as Peter preached Jesus to these Gentiles, once again, the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. They are brought into the kingdom of Christ, the mystery kingdom, the church through the preaching of Peter. So what do we see for Acts chapter two, the Jews, Peter used the keys that Jesus gave him to unlock the doors to the kingdom, to let the Jew in Acts chapter eight. Peter used his authority keys to the kingdom to open the door to allow the Samaritans into the kingdom. Acts chapter 10, Peter used his keys that Jesus gave him to allow the Gentiles into. So it was the privilege of allowing these people, all three groups, Jews, Samaritans, remember Samaritans are half Jew, half Gentiles, Samaritans and Gentiles 
into the new mystery kingdom. And notice what Jesus said to him in the operation of these keys or the opening of these doors for what you bind and loose. That's simply what it is by the authority of opening the doors, inviting these three groups into the kingdom. This is not something you are doing of yourself. This is not something Peter is doing arbitrarily. Notice what it uses the perfect tense verb, whatever you have, you have loosed. It has already been loosed in heaven. Whatever you are binding, it has already been bound in heaven. In other words, Peter, whatever you are doing by allowing these groups into the kingdom of heaven, it is already something that has been predetermined by heaven for you to do. And that's what he means. When you're binding, it has already been bound. When you're loose, it has already been loose. It is the predetermined will of God that you bring in these three groups, Jews, Samaritans and Gentiles into the body of Christ. And how does, and what was the evidence of it in the, in the activity of Peter keys, you saw each grouped group being filled with the Holy spirit, Jew Acts two Samaritans Acts eight, Gentiles, Acts 10, filled with the Holy Spirit, brought into the body of Christ. Okay, so enough of that. So that's what he meant. And then finally, verse number 20, Jesus warned, and that word that he used for warn means he strictly commanded his disciples tell nobody that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Number one, tell nobody because why? The time, the offering unto to the Jewish people, as we told you since Matthew chapter 12, off the table. This is no longer uh, for them as far as the kingdom is concerned. Now we're dealing with the new mystery kingdom, the church that will be built. But also to tell no one because the disciples themselves need further training of what it is for Jesus to be both what Peter has just confessed, Christ and son of God. They themselves don't understand it perfectly. So therefore don't talk about what you don't even understand. So two things tell no one why, because as far as Israel is concerned, that offer that you once preached about offering me as king, that's off the table for them. But this new mystery kingdom and the role that I am to play in this kingdom, you don't quite understand it. Therefore, don't talk about it. And we're going to understand how they don't understand it as Jesus himself continues to reveal not only his person, because notice he's revealed this person. Do you understand who I am? Who do men say that I am? Who do you understand me to be? He has revealed that he is both Messiah, that human being anointed one, but also he is the divine person, God with us. But he continues to teach them about his mission. And remember, I've said all of this again to say in all of these sections since Matthew chapter 12, the training of his disciples. So he continues to do what? Even to train them on his divine purpose. Uh, so now through the confession of Peter, 
you understand or you are beginning to understand my person. You need to further understand my mission, a mission that you never saw. All right. And so now here's where Jesus continues to talk and we bring the chapter to a close. From that time, verse number 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. OK, so notice our marker. And Peter's great confession of the person of Jesus. OK, you understand now my person, not only Messiah, but also God. Let me further teach you things concerning my mission. From that time, he began to teach his disciples. He must notice that's the word day in Greek. It is absolutely necessary. There is no other way. And that's what you got to see. There is what? No other way to accomplish his mission, nor the way to do what? Then to go to Jerusalem, be condemned by the leaders of the people, condemned to death, be put to death, and then rise from the dead. There is no other way to complete Jesus's mission. Say it one more time so you guys can get it. What must happen? There is no other way it is necessary. He must be condemned by the leadership. He must be condemned to death. He must be put to death and then rise again from the dead. There is no other way for Jesus to accomplish this ministry. OK, so now he he furthers that. OK, on the third day. So he gives them further teachings concerning this. The whole thing of the mindset, and, and I don't want to put a lot of time in this, is concerning both Peter as well as all of the rest of the disciples. And this was a common mindset of the Jewish people. Once the Messiah came, he was to remain. So Jesus is actually uh, shocking the conscience minds of the disciples. Even so, Peter here in talking about his death. Now, Peter has totally ignored the point that Jesus is talking, saying that he will rise again from the dead. It's just the point of Jesus, the Messiah. The, see, you got to get that. The Messiah being mistreated and put to death. Peter cannot get over the fact that Jesus says it is necessary that he should die. He is ignoring the fact that he will rise from the dead. Just that's not sinking in. He just can't get over the fact that Jesus put to death. The mindset of the people is they thought once the Messiah got there, he was to remain forever. And we'll see them talk about that even in chapter 17. But we're not there yet, so we're not going to get that discussion. But that's the point. That's the stumbling block in people in Peter's mind. The Messiah cannot die. He cannot die. And so what does he do? 
He has just made this great confession. No soon as Peter makes this great confession, he now makes a great stumbling. <laughs> so he pulls Jesus to the side and he thinks that he is doing Jesus kind of like a favor, so to speak. And so he kind of rebukes Jesus and think about he's rebuking the Messiah, God. He just called Jesus Messiah and God. And now Peter is rebuking God. He just really doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. But that's what he's doing. He begins to rebuke Jesus and he said, no, it says where it says, uh, uh, Lord, God forbid it, Lord. In the Greek, actually, what he said was mercy to you, Lord, mercy to you, Lord. In other words, no, 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 not this to you, not to you. But once again, I like when it says mercy to you, Lord. Notice what Jesus said. He just said previously, there is no other way for me to complete my mission, for me to do the thing that God has set me to do. What? There's no other way. Go to Jerusalem, be condemned by the leaders, put to death and then rise on the third day. No other way. And what is Peter saying? Find another way. Mercy, mercy to you, Lord. Don't let it be like this, which takes us all the way back to Jesus. I think it's Matthew chapter four. Temptation by Satan. What did I go back and look at the video? If you haven't, if you've forgotten it, what did I tell you happened? Satan was trying to give Jesus a shortcut. What? Be the Messiah. Okay, fine. I tell you what you do. Jump off the, the high point of the temple. Let people begin to receive you and worship you as Messiah and be king when they see this wonderful thing that you do when you jump off the temple. Or even I'll give you something else to do, says Satan. Bow down and worship me. You see the kingdoms of the world? I'll give you all of these things and you can be Messiah over the world without having to die. Go to Jerusalem, be condemned by the chief priest, die and raise again from the third. The same shortcut that devil was trying to give Jesus earlier, the devil is trying to offer it in Offer it to Jesus now through Peter by what Peter is saying. What did Peter say when Jesus said that he must, there is no other way for him to complete his mission except to be condemned to death and rise again. What did Peter say? Mercy to you, Lord. Don't do it this way. Don't die. Don't do it. Jesus saw Satan using, using Peter at this time. And that's why Jesus addressed Satan directly. Even though he was talking to Peter, he knew who was moving Peter to say these so-called kind words. See, Peter weren't trying to be, he, Peter didn't understand it. Satan was not trying to be kind. Satan was trying to thwart the plan of God. If Jesus did not go to that cross and die, we would all be in our sins. All of us would go to hell and Satan would continue to reign forever and ever. He was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. So Jesus saw Satan moving Peter to say these words and therefore Jesus rebuked Satan 
as he was talking to Peter and says, what Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, you are rebuked. Why? And as he says unto Peter, you're concerned about the things of men and not about the things of God. What are the things of God? The things of God here is what Jesus says it is necessary for me to do. The things of God is for it is the mind of God. It is the plan and will of God that the son of man, that he shall send his son into the world and that the son should be condemned and die on the cross for man's sin. It is God's will and God's plan to satisfy the divine wrath of God. Jesus by his death will satisfy God's anger towards man, God's wrath towards man. He to like calm God down when he look at all those who believe in Jesus. Cause Jesus died on the cross in their place. And God goes like this. All right. I'm all right now. I'm all right now. So therefore everybody who believes in my son and what he has just done, instead of me killing you and sending you to hell, I give you life. This is my plan. This is God's plan. And that's what Jesus means. You are concerned not about God's plan, sending the son to die for the need of those who believe in him. But you're concerned about doing that, which satisfies man. And even in the spiritual picture, which satisfies Satan. Why? Cause he trying to keep me from going to that cross. Okay. So Jesus therefore begins to rebuke Peter and he also rebuked Satan, but also too, it opens the door for Jesus to further his teaching concerning God's way, or even we should we say it this way, Jesus's way and also concerning man's way. Okay. And this is where we continue on furthering of teaching. As we look at what Peter has just done, rebuke Jesus saying, no, this is not what I, this is not what I want you to do. Jesus now, Jesus now begins to teach. There is a difference in doing what you would want to do and doing what I would have you to do. And this is the teaching of what it means to be a disciple. Okay, so let's finish it because it's longer than I anticipated again. Then verse number 24, Jesus said to his disciple, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Okay. 
Again, this is loaded, but let's just simply work it through. So now notice predicated upon what Jesus was just talking about. He himself, it is necessary for him to accomplish the will of the father, go to Jerusalem, be condemned by the leaders to death and rise again on the third day. What did Peter do? Peter tried to replace what Jesus had to do with what man, what Peter wanted to do. And we know about the Satan thing. We just talked about that. But with what Peter wanted to do, that's the emphasis that Jesus is now driving. Man's will over against God's will. And now he begins to develop the point of discipleship. Discipleship means to empty yourself, to leave your will and do God's will in your life. And that's why he begins to say, if any man wishes to come after me, the true nature of discipleship, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus means, notice, ain't it beautiful? No longer to do what you wanna do. No longer to live how we want to live. It means to abandon our life. It means to abandon our interest, our will for our life. And that is something that we struggle with. That is something that I struggle with even unto this day to always abandon my will for my life. And that's what Jesus means right here. And that's why he says for whoever saves his life, shall lose his life. For if you do what you want to do in this life, if you live how you want to live in this life, if you determine what you will do and what you will not do, how you will live and how you will not live, if all of this is done by you, go all the way back to what Jesus was saying concerning him, himself. Jesus said about himself, I must do the will of the Father. I must do the things that concern God. I must do, what, what must I do? Die and be resurrected. This is God's will for me and I must do it. Likewise for you too, unless you abandon what you want to do for your life and do the things that I have commanded for you to do with your life. If you don't do what I have commanded you to do for your life, ultimately you will lose your life. And here, here, pay attention guys, is where Jesus is doing a play on the temporal and the eternal. The temporal is the life right now. The eternal is life to come and life forevermore. Jesus is doing a play on what? The life right now, temporal, over against the life eternal. So what did he say? If you save your life, that is, live your life the way that you want to live your life right now. Live your life the way you want to right now. You will lose your life. Lose your life. You'll lose benefit in the eternity. You will lose your life in eternity. 
you'll lose the good things for yourself in eternity. Because what? You looked at the right now and gave the right now, your life in this world, a greater value than your life in the eternity. You looked at the life right now and determined you wanted to live your life the way that you wanted to live your life instead of sacrificing your will for your life right now and being blessed in the future forever because you abandoned your will. For notice, for what does it profit a man if he gained the world right now? If he gained everything right now, only to lose his soul. Because once you dead, all that you gained is now gone, but now you have stepped into what? Eternity. And what benefit of that is it for the eternity? If you did everything and got everything that you wanted right now, how does that benefit you in eternity when you're going to be judged by Jesus and he's going to ask you, but did you do what I say? So if you actually made a measurement of it against one another, was it worth it? Was it worth it to do what you wanted to do. No, go back all to what Peter is saying. No, Lord, not. Don't let this, let this, let it be good things for you right now. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Abandon good things right now for greater things in the future. Gain the world, good things right now. Lose your soul, bad things for eternity in the future. And then once again, in that play against what temporal things right now, things life in this world right now, things over against the benefit of things in eternity, the benefit of things in the future. Jesus then begins to say what he speaks of a prophecy. The son of man is going to come. So he's speaking of something that is going to happen in the future. What? But notice, in the glory of his angels, of his father with his angels. Okay, again, he's teaching you to value, value what? The future tense over against the right now. Right now is difficult. Right now, Jesus has to go, be condemned, die, and raise again. Right now is difficult. Right now is difficult for us abandon our will for our life. You can't do what you want to do. We got to live for Jesus Christ, but compare that to the future, compare that to what the soul will gain in the future, compare that to what Jesus will be in the future. Right now, Jesus says, I got to die, but in the future, I return in glory. Again, compare the now against the future. Now he died in the future. He comes in glory. What glory? The glory of father and empower. It is different. So we suffer the right now for the glory of the future as Jesus suffered his right now for the glory of him in the future. Son of man will come in the glory of his father and the angels. And also here's the warning for us. 
then he will give to every man according to his deeds. What you mean he'll give every man? Did you abandon for your right now, for your life in this world? Did you give it up in that life to follow me? Because if you did, great will be your reward and your reward will outlive the 50, 60, 70, 80 years of life that you had. Your reward will be eternal. And then he gives them that cryptic statement as we get to the very end of 16 and says to them, his disciples, I truly I say unto you, there will be some of you who will see the son of man who will not taste of death until you see the son of man coming in his kingdom. This cryptic statement Jesus gives, and he'll talk about that in the next chapter that Jesus talks about the glory of what his kingdom will look like, the glory of what Jesus will look like. Jesus will give a taste a taste, a sample of what the coming kingdom of the Messiah will truly be like to some of his disciples. We know that's going to be Peter, James, and John, but we're not going to get into all of that. But he gives them a taste of that glory. But the bottom line of everything that he was simply saying was, do not trade the temporal for the eternal. Do not trade doing what you want to do, having your will, enjoying this life. Learn to suffer and learn to give up this life, a life only of a few years for eternity. For it is in eternity that there will be a greater blessing, a more enduring blessing. And Jesus says, and guess what? I'm gonna give some of you guys a sample of what that great blessing that, that is to come. I'm gonna give you an example of what that blessing will be like. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining me in that teaching in chapter 16. Once again, what was the point of Jesus? What was he trying to teach? Training his disciples. Number one, Beware of the teaching, the leaven, false doctrine, Pharisees and Sadducees. So beware of that in your life and in your future ministry. And also too, have you become aware of who I am? I'm more than simply a man, son of man, Christ, Messiah. I am also God, the son of God. Peter says, yes, we are now aware of that. And Jesus says, now that you are aware of that, let me continue to educate you, teach you and train you about my mission. It is necessary for me to die and be resurrected once again from the dead. But you don't understand that my disciples, but so you don't worry about teaching that. The time for Israel has passed and you don't understand this yourself as Peter evidenced that as he says unto Jesus, no Lord, you cannot die. And Jesus continues to say, a true disciple of mine is willing to give up his life and always give up life in this tangible world, in this right now world, for the life that is to come in the eternal 
world. And this is what Jesus talked about in chapter 16. So join me next time as we get into chapter 17 and Jesus began to fulfill that word that he gave us in chapter 16 when he says, truly there'll be some of you right here standing who will not taste of death until you get a sample of the Son of Man, his coming power and his coming kingdom. So join us next time as we get into chapter 17 and talk about the power of Jesus' new kingdom. But anyway, before we close it out, remember, I need your support. So look into the description, check out where we can support this ministry and we continue this teaching to you. But anyway, enough of that guys. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.